Welcome to the Freedom Frontline Podcast. As always, this podcast will be completely raw, completely unfiltered, and completely uncensored. On today's show, we have Catherine Letzios. She has an amazing story regarding the absolute medical tyranny that exists in our medical systems these days. She has exposed medical corruption and is nothing more than collateral damage and a casualty of a political pandemic. If you guys want to hear one of the greatest stories you are ever going to hear from an absolute warrior of a woman, a mother, and an inspiration to us all, then stay tuned and listen up. Here we go. Hey, Eric. How are you? Good. How you doing? Yeah, I'm breathing. (laughs) (laughs) You can't complain, right? I woke up on this side of the grass, so I'm good. That's it. Awesome. So uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, about your story. Let's uh, let's get right into it. Oh, Jesus. I don't even know. There's no short version of my story. Good. Let's do the uh, let's do the long way around. I'm 42 years old. Um. A mom, two amazing kids. They're a lot bigger than me. Um, I live in Mississauga, Ontario, my entire life. And uh, yeah, I think that's about it about myself. Um, where do I start? Who about, I would say about right before this pandemic hit, I started getting really sick, but my doctor wasn't listening, which is, you know, nothing unique. And um it just got worse and worse and worse where I ended up in the hospital and uh, they had mailed that they had pinpointed, I guess, from a CT scan that there was a lump in my neck. I had lost a lot of weight. There was dark black bruises everywhere. Um, I have a really strong history of oncology in my family. Like if I didn't pass from an oncological, the first one six generations And, uh, you know, it's just one of those doctors that wasn't listening and minimizing it. So I had gone in through Credit Valley at, you know, Trillium and they had done a CT scan and, um, said, um, at that so-called pandemic started. Um, and I say that with such a heavy heart and, um, things were different, like in the hospital than I've ever seen before where they wouldn't want to look at everything in its entirety and would constantly redirect, you know, to your family doctor. But they did give me an urgent referral to an internal medicine doctor within five days in person. So I knew something was really wrong because they don't normally do that. Mm. When I first met with that internist, she, uh, I don't know that hindsight is 2020, but I remember her saying to me, We can do a CT scan of your pelvic and abdominal issues since you've had really bad like hemorrhaging for this long. And uh, they booked it, I think, for a couple of weeks away. And she looked at me and said, I don't think I'm going to be able to give you a uniform cause for this, which I thought nothing of. Right. Like Mm -hmm. you're so naive. 
I wasn't remotely awake to any of what I am today. Um, I remember getting a drive there that day thinking I had the wrong ER. Like there was not one single person in a chair. I thought I walked in to a twilight zone because what I was seeing on the TV and I was so petrified to catch COVID like, Oh my God, I'm going to go in the hospital. I'm going to catch something. I'm going to die. Right. Right. So long story short, went home, licked my wounds and waited and waited and waited. Um, I landed back in emergency about two weeks after that, where they did a CT scan of my pelvic area and abdominal contrast. And they wrote that there was thickening in my bowel cyst on the kidneys and cyst on the ovaries and that urological consult should be done. Well, COVID wouldn't allow you to go in and see a urologist. They couldn't do a bladder cancer test. So the next best thing would be a urine test. I complied and did that. My urine bladder results went missing. You couldn't get a doctor back then to call you back for the life of you. And I was just going through this process thinking, you know, it's not just me. It's just the way this telehealth stuff that they're introducing is going to, you know, play out. Yeah, for sure. At that time, um, I met with the internal medicine doctor and uh, she said, you know, like the bladder cancer said, everything was fine. We can't explain why there's blood in your urine. But I'm concerned that your left rib cage is protruding. I want to make sure there's no mass under there. So I'm going to do a, a CT scan of your chest. And I mean, I have pictures of all this shit. I can't make it up. They did a CT scan of my chest to make sure there's no mass under there pushing my rib cage out. And they reported potential pathological fractures all throughout my ribs. But nobody mentioned the left side. When I questioned it, the hospital told me, oh, well, it's because I guess the radiologist didn't see nothing on the left. But how do you explain the actual rib cage is visually protruding where I have, you know, alternative medicine doctors photographing this, like un 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 unable to believe what, you know, their eyes are seeing. So I kind of, again, swallowed it. My family doctor re refused to see me. At that time, it was roughly April, May. So I just said, something's not right. You know what I mean? So they had yeah. sent me also to a gynecologist from the same hospital um, at Trillium Partners to an endometrial biopsy. Again, that concluded everything was fine. I had cameras put up inside me, like transvaginal ultrasounds, normal ultrasounds. And I started reading these reports. If you're a critical thinker, I can read data, right? Like you don't need, if there's a word you don't recognize, you can look it up and then put the sentence together. Oh, absolutely. And at this point, at this point, I had gone through like CT scan of my pelvic, CT scan of my abdomen, uh, internal ultrasounds, external ultrasounds. Nobody wanted to mention my cervix. Like they would say, you know, the left kidney unseen, too gassy or uh, left ovary unable to be seen. I didn't understand this at the time because I hadn't gathered all my records. So my instinct said something's wrong. Like how could they should at least say cervix unremarkable. Like none of these tests mentioned my cervix. Like I don't have one. So I started researching if there's loopholes anywhere, I'm going to find them because that's just what I do. Um, I even self-represented at the age of 26 and won my custody so strict that dad wasn't even allowed supervised visits for good reasons. 
So my doctor knew that I was very savvy that way. So she dropped me because I questioned her, um, like dropped me from her care, literally said, I can no longer be your family doctor. And That's this is, big... and, and she dropped you while knowing all of this was happening. Yes, sir. Um, <laughs> I, I, uh, when everybody thought you couldn't travel, I, uh, I found a loophole. I had the passport office by appointment in person, renew my passport, jumped in my Civic, best friend's daughter drove it for me across the border, Buffalo, booked MRI, $2,800 later, I nailed discrepancies. So I come back to Trillium Health Partners in person, internal medicine doctor in person, the hospital manager of all three sites in person, and my paid medical advocate on speakerphone. I dropped my MRI from Buffalo. I said, somebody missed something. I'm getting sicker and this is not okay. Well, if Catherine, you know, if you want to do your test outside of Canada, perhaps you should get treatment outside of Canada. We don't see any reason for follow-up. And the next week, my urologist, my gynecologist, my internist, like I'm talking my entire team at that hospital, like consecutively dropped me from their care. So now you're feeling defeated, right? No matter what kind of like ER you walk into they're just gonna minimalize it tell you that you should follow up your family doctor I had started interviewing family doctors like meet and greets not saying too much because it's like a first date you want them to take you on right right I couldn't understand why none of them would touch me with an eight-foot pole so I called up my previous doctor that dropped me and I said I'm coming in I have 10 years of history I just want the last 12 months of my medical records so her receptionist handed it to me I can't make this up if I tried. She literally wrote, Catherine believes something sinister and occult is happening. Catherine is very court savvy. Wow. Catherine has a lot of former clients and friends that are doctors and nurses. Like, it, like implicit bias. She set me up. So long story short, a friend of mine said I should write to the CPSO and report her. I went and put energy there. Now I know they're corrupt as shit. Because I see what all the doctors and nurses ha- are like fighting up against where they're concerned. So I knew something was really off. At this point, I'm thinking I'm not going to get any help. But I do know that when you give your body everything it needs, it not only can heal itself, but it can stop and arrest things where they're at, slow things down. So I found this functional medicine doctor in Woodbridge. I leave her name out of it because she's asked me to. Yep. Yep. Sure. She's actually said to me multiple times, because right now I'm paying out of pocket, literally stay alive. You need to talk to Rocco. I'm like, he's got his hands full. He's going to do my case. No justice right now. Right. But she immediately sent me to UHN Toronto Western to see another internist in hopes that they might be able to find something that, you know, a suburban hospital may have missed. I went through the process, went there. And again, they kind of dismissed everything in the interim. It's like, like end of May now, I ended up driving and seeing a car accident. I I can't make this up. And, you know, your instinct kicks in and you just kind of throw your car in park. I didn't even cut my engine and jumped out of the car. There was a motorcycle down and tow truck drivers all around her. But my thing was always for that underdog, like who hit her? Where's the other car? And when I ran up, there was a female, no older than 20, just in shock, like mascara running. She couldn't talk. I whipped open her door and I asked her, are you hurt? I can't move you if you're hurt. She said no. So I yanked her out and I hugged her because compression helped like 
bring somebody out of shock. At that time, I wrote my number down and, you know, and on a napkin in her car. And I said, if you ever need to talk, you know, I told the officers I didn't see it. I arrived after and I left. Three weeks later, like, this is why I say, like, everything happens in its proper time. Three weeks later, I got a phone call from a lady and her name was Hope. I can't make this up. And she said, you don't know me, but you helped my daughter at the accident when nobody else even ran to her car to help. And I just started bawling. And she says, what's wrong? I said, I can't get medical help. If I die today, I would die happy knowing that I was able to make that difference like in that person's life. And she said, what's your issue? At that time, I was having serious cardiac issues where every time I would go back to that same hospital, which was in my jurisdiction, they would say, oh, it's anxiety. Oh, it's in your head. Oh, there's nothing wrong. So she says, you were my mother's arms for my kid when I couldn't be there. And my kid's godfather is a cardiologist at Jurovinsky Cancer Hospital in Hamilton. Can I give him your number? On record, I have three weeks of texting between myself and this cardiologist telling me when to go in, tell them that I'm a family friend, that the triage would be expecting me. Like something out of a movie. I didn't want to think that this type of equity or favoritism existed in our healthcare system. I was that naive still last year. So I went in through Jurovinsky, just chasing my heart. No stories. I didn't tell this gentleman nothing other than I'm scared to catch COVID. I don't want to go into a hospital and I'm having heart problems. So of course, because I said not much of the backstory, he merely hooked me up. Like when I walked in there, I felt guilty because of all the people in triage, like just giving me dirty looks. Perrier water, private room, fresh fruit, you name it. He admitted me. They treated me with nitroglycerin. I had pericardial effusion, right? Like all around my heart. There's only two reasons that that happens, either metastasis or infection. So I'm sitting there going, drain it, test it. All of these lumps have been documented as possible lipomas. They like to use umbrella language, like in your medical reports, in mine at least anyways. So he treated me, everything was fine. And then without my permission, they accessed my clinical notes from Trillium. They ripped me out of my private room on day six, put me in the hallway on the gurney. I was hallway girl. 36 hours testing my resolve. I didn't budge. Then the manager of the hospital came to my bed. Her name was Sarah and asked me had I escalated any complaints outside of Hamilton Health Sciences. Well, like my senses went off and I'm like, okay, something's up here. So they send me home with nothing, no follow up, nothing. But at least my like, unstable angina and myocarditis had like settled down at that point I left there and it was it was at that point like you know July when I went to Buffalo now fast forward a little bit we're in end of July and I'm finally seeing an internal medicine doctor at one of the biggest hospitals in Toronto thinking they're going to figure this out right if anything they're going to send me to their sister hospital which is Princess Margaret I didn't understand yet that they had directives to do things slowly, like Mm. to run the clock out. They weren't supposed to admit anyone that wasn't, you know, a COVID case or, and because of the discrepancy I had discovered with the MRI from Buffalo versus my Canadian tests, um, I had obtained my discs which are your round silver discs, you know, like of your images. Mm -hmm. And I had had them reread out of country. 
a lot of people don't know this, but you can pop them into a disc reader, you know, put $200 on a credit card and independent radiology second opinion from Florida states that way back from March, they omitted things at Credit Valley before they dropped me on my CT scan internally. So my functional, my functional medicine doctor being the champ she is, submits it to Ministry of Health saying this was missed six months ago. Here's the second opinion radiology report. Urgent endoscopy is booked within four days. I'm literally walking, like walking dead at this point, no strength, couldn't work, you know, couldn't get out of bed, just out of character. I was a very active person and I couldn't understand how it was progressing so quickly. So once she did that, they kind of like lined it up and booked it for me. They didn't have much of a choice. Having said that, Eric, it was, it was very frightening to find out when I started pulling my records that doctors had began to remove their names off of my examinations anywhere and everywhere where there were like actual errors. Wow. Where they asked me straight out, where did you get your discs from? We have pocket health. Like, well, yeah, pocket health is an online digital thing that you guys do right and what you do is you upload images and you upload you know reports can you tell me why on this one there's 200 images and on my disc there's 370 images like I would notice details like that that were just not lining up and they couldn't answer to it we filed with the patient abundsman of Ontario at that point because the college of physicians just cleared my family doctor that dropped me this sick And it was that like that went nowhere, but I don't want to jump like I had to when that happened, going back to Toronto Western at UHN, they, um, they tried to tell me that the reason I couldn't walk was neurological. So I waited and their neurology department cleared me. And I was literally, you know, back at Hamilton hospital in hopes that they might find something. And because the cardiologist there felt some type of way, cause he knew I had texts. This is what I believe. He knew I had texts between him and I, he threw me to an internal medicine doctor there out of all my MRIs, all my CT scans, all of my x-rays, this doctor was genuinely trying to help me but his hands were tied. I understand that now, like at an administration level, because he went for my bones. He said, you know, even if I test your lump, it's going to say the same thing. No matter what test we do, it's going to say the same thing. I'm sitting there at the time, 41 years old going home care for what? Like, are you kidding? I'm not dying. It's not ending this way. And he says, what I can redo is your nuclear medicine bone scan, which was head to toe. So they redid that one. They also redid my bladder because at camera inside, they let me film this 45 second video. You can hear me going, what's all that white stuff? Oh, that's not uncommon with premenopausal women. It's just squamous metaplasia. I looked at her. I said, I was bedside with my mom when she died at 46. A year prior, I flew home to Greece because my grandma, my mom's mom, my mom's mom died of bladder cancer. I know what squamous metaplasia. Metaplasia comes before dysplasia and neoplasia, which is precancerous cells. Like, how can you guys dismiss this? Jesus. Well, we can't look at everything in its entirety. 
only a family doctor can. So you see like the vicious circle that it so, started at this oh, point. This, this is what I don't understand though. And, and I know you probably don't understand this as well, but with something like that, like your family doctor is there solely to hold your medical history, do your yep. physical, give you your fucking boosters and prescribe you antibiotics when you have a cold. That's really all they're for. Why exactly with somebody with such severe symptoms, your family doctor is just going to constantly send you back. So are they just, are, are they deliberately trying to, to cause harm? I don't, I can't really speak to that. If they're deliberately trying to cause harm or not, but she definitely um, made an error and she dropped me knowing that um, no other doctor would touch me. And the directives they had was that hospitals could only treat acute issues and they had to leave their beds open and only admit COVID people. Bullshit. So, right. So I know she threw me under the bus. So this guy redoes my head to toe nuclear, like bone scan. I verbally get the results back that everything is fine in September. Two months later, two months later, both of my legs broke. The first one broke as I was walking up the stairs. Like I didn't fall off of, you know, the roof hanging Christmas lights. I was like lost my footing. And this is months after my functional medicine doctor is putting in urgent referrals to UHN saying, please reassess. My patient cannot walk, right? It's not a neurology thing. She can't walk. My leg broke exactly where my lumps were documented. I have 30 of them. I know that this is lymphatic now. And exactly where the lumps were documented, they would use language on my reports, Eric, like possible lipomas, possible lipomas. Like, do you see see how they're, but they cover themselves from liability this way. So my first leg breaks and I land at Oakville Hospital. Um, I live in the south part of Mississauga, like Clarkson, Port Credit, Lauren Park, along the lakeshore. And mm-hmm. I was terrified. I'm, I'm, I wasn't even home. And I was going to my neighbor, do not call me an ambulance. They're going to take me back to Credit Valley. I'd rather die than go there. They dismissed me. Like I knew what was going on there. So I said, you get me in your car. And I'm going to be honest, we smoked a fatty for the pain. And they put a splint and three of the dudes, my cousins lifted me and got me over to Oakville. They admitted me right away. It was here for me, the pivoting moment when I realized exactly how many internal politics were involved in my situation. Because I'm in there with a broken leg and they admit me. And I start noticing a lot of gaslighting, like really bizarre things, like um, questioning my capacity because I'm refusing morphine, but I can't have family in here with me. I need to be cognitively alert to be able to communicate with doctors because you're talking possible surgery, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, I don't want it. Like, I just don't want it. So, you know, if you ask for medicine, you're narcotic seeking. If you refuse it, you're not cooperative. You just can't win for losing. So they kept me in there overnight. Um, at that point, I had brought all my medical files. And I said, before your anesthetist gives me my risk factors, they need to know that I'm currently being investigated for this, 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 and this. So they collectively decided to proceed non-operatively. 
I have spiral fractures, which is very, very uncommon unless you're 90, unless you've been in an accident or unless there's disease present. It's like, right. it's ridiculous. I don't like, I know I've shown you pictures, but like the way these bones broke. So I'm laying there on day two and a nurse hands me my binder, like my leather binder that said OTMH on the outside. And I'm flipping through pages, reading these and taking pictures. And my friend, my best friend, who's an osteopath and has a clinic of her own, who's been a very strong advocate in person with these doctors, written to reporters relentlessly. We couldn't understand why nobody would cover it. I, we all get it now. And she literally said to me, send me the pictures now for safekeeping and you need to leave. Leave. Like you have your cast on. They're saying you can proceed non-surgically. They're not giving you any meds on, on IV and they're not willing to work you up. They actually said that they couldn't work it up to see why it broke because UHN had started. And I have emails from my doctor in Woodbridge where she's putting them on notice. Like she advocated to the point where she wanted it to be formally part of my health record. So she wrote to UHN. My patient is currently at Oakville Hospital with her leg broken. They're refusing to work her up because you guys began. You might want to collaborate with your, you know, hospital over there. Mm -hmm. And she's currently under the care of Dr. Amanda Gamer. Like she called it out because she was like fed up. Mm -hmm. They were stonewalling her everywhere. She would go send me to diagnose me, thyroid test, the bladder test. They would just fudge the reports, like tying her hands. So after reading what this nurse handed me, and we're talking about when your medical chart is different than your medical records. And when you as a patient want to pay the fee to get your medical records, they make you wait 30 days. They polish it. They retype it, you know, and then give it to you. What I saw was unedited and raw, like in pen, handwritten doctor notes, like um, multiple lawsuits pending with other hospitals. Wait a second. How does that have any medical bearing? Doesn't belong in my chart. And if anything, you're warning them not to diagnose me because it's going to throw the other hospitals under the bus. Like, why would you write this? Um, on another page, um, psychiatrist was phoned via telephone, patient delusional. Insight question, two point soft restraints order to patient become unruly. I'm sitting on the bed with a catheter in and like broken, like, like, what am I going to do? Levitate off the bed? Like I started to notice there was something really nefarious happening that this was not just in my head. And my loved ones got really scared for me and said, you need to just sign yourself out, come home. So I did that one before I did that, I push my call button. And I did this intentionally. And the nurse came to my bed and I handed her the binder. And I said, I'm done with this. I've taken pictures and emailed them so that they're safe. Could you get me your, like your floor manager? I need to speak to somebody in administration and I need them bedside within an hour. I'm signing myself out. And she's like, Oh, where did you get this? And you know, who gave it to you? I would die before I would throw that nurse under the bus, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, right. But at, at the same time, why is that relevant? So I'm leaving. My best friend and her daughter are helping me into the van with one cast on. And my second leg, just from pivoting, like in standing position, snapped in two places. 
like like on camera on the property before I even made it like off their property. So security guards ran up. The ambulance left the bay, got me, brought me back in. At that point, I call my osteopath and family friend, and she comes. She comes in person. She can hear the nurses talking about me at the nurse's desk while I'm waiting for an X-ray on my second leg now. And they tell you, like, don't move until we can get an X-ray. Like, just to cut my winter boots, I had Sorrells on, right? Just to cut my boots off, Eric, they had to give me straight fentanyl and hydromorphin just to get my boot off. And it was like out of a sci-fi movie because your, your, your foot is on a perfect 90 degree ankle, like looking to the left. And I'm like, this is surreal. I'm laying there now, like my leg is insecure. And they're like, wait for x-rays. Don't move it. Don't move. No matter what you do, don't move. Three nurses came into my hospital room, some type of way, wanting to change the bed sheets beneath me because they were urine soaked. Like that was the least of my worries, right? And I'm trying to plead with them. I'm not supposed to move. The doctor said, don't. I'm waiting for x-rays. And they were very, but what they didn't know is my friend was sitting in the corner of the room. And she literally said, if you don't let her go, I'm going Facebook live. So they were shocked that I had somebody in the room and let go of me and walked out. At that point, they needed to set this and put another cast on. And they couldn't do it because of the severity, because it broke worse in the first leg. Three days apart, Eric, three days apart. So they knocked me out with conscious sedation. And I only agree if she can stay in the room. She films this. My respiration line on my machine literally went beep. You can hear her asking, what's that? Oh, it's nothing. And they unplugged the machine. When I woke up and came to, she whispered it to me, emails it to me, and they take me upstairs to admit me again. I think I had both legs in the cast and catheter in. And that night at 3 a.m., I started to not be able to breathe. And I'm very in tune with my body where I can feel things like, like most people, like a lot of people can't. And I was so hesitant to say, I can't breathe because you're scared, right? They're going to stick you on a COVID like floor or something. Yeah, exactly. So it's 3 a.m. and it's getting worse. And my relatives are texting me, you need to page a doctor. So I'm like, okay. So the nurse comes in. I said, wake up the doctor on call. I don't care. I can't breathe. And they're like, oh, chest pain. I'm going, no, there's no chest pain. There's no fever up yours. Like I knew where they were going. I'm like the left side of my lung feels like I'm breathing. Like when you get in your car and it's 40 degrees and your AC hasn't kicked in, but only that side. Yeah. So they start patronizing me, bringing in an ECG machine. I said, first of all, that's only going to measure my sinus rhythm. And for the first time in a long time, I'm not having problems with my heart. This is my lung. I cannot breathe. Then an hour later, they come in to do blood work, troponin. I said, there is nothing wrong with my heart. You will not find floating particles in my blood. I have not had a heart attack. Something's wrong with my lung. I fought for a CT scan of my lung for an additional two days. Finally, I just had had enough. So I called the manager of the hospital in my room. And she comes in and I showed her all my photographs. I said, this was written in my chart. This is why I left to sign myself out. Then I came back here. I'm fighting for a CT. Why should I stay quiet and vote? You know, 
all of the procedural violations in my chart alone that I photographed. What can you do for me? Because I can't breathe and I'm not dying in here. So immediately they offer me an apology, CT scan right away, which actually found that I had a pulmonary embolism. Jesus. Four days, they made me fight. Four days, they made me fight for this test. I had a pulmonary embolism in my left lung. And it's not uncommon when you break a bone, right? Like when you break a bone, your bones have to clot and that's part of healing. It's just the way it medically works. So they, uh, at that time, I said, I don't feel safe in here. So she says, what would make you feel safer? I said, I want my best friend in the room. When nobody could visit their family in November, because people were dying alone and COVID visitation restrictions, they gave her special permission at CEO level to be in my room until I leave. I mean, 24 seven security guards had cleared her. She could come and go, you know, as she pleased all hours. And she did not leave my side till I got home. Okay. And then when I got home every seven days, you have to go to a fracture clinic appointment, three appointments in a row. My osteopath couldn't come. So she sent her husband. He was smart enough to record every conversation and like just send it to me so I could keep it. This orthopedic surgeon told me we could proceed non-operatively. It's too risky to do surgery because of the other things pending. They're going to heal, but they'll just take longer to heal. And my pastor from church came to throw weight on it. Um, people advocated so hard. Like, why did this happen? She doesn't deserve to know why it happened. She's covered in bruises. Oh, but those bruises were before they're like broke. You just need to follow up with your family doctor. Like, are you kidding me? So I leave and Christmas holidays, they canceled one of my appointments. So I start digging and researching. Like I left no stone unturned. I'm like, well, the Atlantic bubble. The Atlantic bubble has not had one COVID death since last March. They have no restrictions, no surgeries canceled, no biopsy canceled, restaurants in person, nail salon, everything was open, right? So how do I get me there? There's only certain exceptions, right? Like you can get in if you're going for work. Um, Family compassionate grounds is how I got into that province. I ate my two-week quarantine like a champ in pain, and I went into eMERGE, I had even done my due diligence and had my functional medicine doctor faxed to PEI, fracture clinic follow-up to demonstrate responsibility for continuity of care, right? And I walked in there and they did x-rays on both of my casts. And the ER doctor starts whispering outside my room. I'm with my best friend's parents. They were my aunt and uncle for all purposes needed, right? And he comes back in the room. He goes, when did you say this happened? This was like January by now. I said in November, sir. Why? Because they're not healing. It looks like they just broke yesterday. I'm like, what do you mean they're not healing? I said, I have three audio clips from an orthopedic surgeon telling me that they were healing and it was progressing fine and we should continue non-operatively. So like that was something I didn't expect. So I got very emotional. At that point, um, they told me that they could admit me and do a full workup to find out why it happened and that they could do surgery on both. So I'm like, yay, right? Like I might, unbeknownst to me, when you swipe your OHIP card, no matter what province you're in, because you're rostered with specialists, you know, back home, 
your ministry of health automatically finds out where you are, right? So I was like, this is really not happening. You guys promised me a workup. They take both casts off. So now you can't even change your own diaper because that's my reality for the last six months. I'm just mentally strong enough to endure it. But they removed my cast and they had promised me a full workup. They merely did an ECG. And I'm like, that's not going to really do nothing. Like something's really wrong. This doesn't just happen out of nowhere. And I had realized at that point that there was another agenda they were pushing. So they did a CT scan of my like head to toe to check for blood clots, to check for, you know, everything and anything. And they come back and tell me, and I quote, why would you come here and lie to us about a blood clot in your lung? So I pull up records, right? I'm like, nope, this is what Oakville said I had on their CT scan. Well, there's a nodule in the growth, but not a blood clot. What do you mean there's a nodule on, on my on my left lower lobe? There's a nodule. And uh, you guys called it a blood clot. This makes a lot of sense because remember I told you months prior my left rib cage was sticking out. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, something's really not right. I had brought with me all of my discs and my entire medical file, knowing that what had occurred in Ontario was something called Clinic Connect. So Clinic Connect means no matter what hospital you go to, it all follows you. Whereas when you're in another province, their computer systems just aren't equipped to do something like that. So they needed me when I came out of the CT scan room um, and I'm like flat board from the bed to the gurney downstairs to imaging from the gurney onto the CT machine. Like it's extremely painful when you have both casts on and still four broken bones. Right. Right. And minimum, minimum pain meds. Cause I need to stay alert. And when they pulled me out of that CT room and we're heading back to my hospital room, the porter and me were ambushed by a team of nurses with paperwork. Like, I know what they saw, Eric. Like, my, their jaws must have dropped. Like, how is this woman so sick and she doesn't know what's wrong with her? How could they not have told her? What, 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 what is it to her story that she's not saying? Because I went there as carte blanche, right? Yeah, I, I just I, I don't I don't think that they expected much of anything. Like I, I I don't think that they expected you to be advocating for yourself the entire time. They also didn't so, expect me to go eighteen hours in a car across the country. Exactly. Right. In that exactly. in that condition, but my resolve is that strong when you're fighting right. for your life. Absolutely. So they ambushed me with paperwork. Can you sign for us to access your clinical notes and your discharge summaries? Absolutely not. I can't. Oh. So then they put me back in my room. My uncle, who I've known my whole life, like he's like an uncle. He's right. sitting in a chair next to me. He didn't leave me for one minute alone in that hospital. And I'm sitting there like pondering what just happened. Right. And they sent a psychiatrist to my bedside. At that point in time, I looked at her and I said, how can I help you? Like, what is this about? Oh, well, you know, we're just here to do an assessment. I said, I don't need an assessment. I have pathological, I have organic evidence at this point. What I need is somebody to put on my casts um, so I can go home. And I said to her, it's very unethical that you want to do a psychiatric assessment yeah. on a patient in this condition, because right now I'm on 15 
milligrams of morphine. I have been moved seven times physically for the purpose of the CT scan. I need to decompress. This is not my baseline. You can't conduct an assessment under these circumstances. Absolutely. Not, not, and I do not consent. At that point, she left. I looked at him and he's very, you know, naive in their 70s. And I know how this I've gone through it with a relative for the purpose. I had, I had a family member formed, right? Um, you got to go through. It's not easy. Like, there was courts involved. Like, how are they doing this? So I looked at him and I said, the logistics are they may separate us. If they do, they will take away my phone. I'm going to type a template. I'm going to text it to you. You need to shoot this out to every news channel you can think of. And quick wit, I typed, my name is Catherine. My last name is Lazio. So I'm 42, permanent resident of Ontario. I'm being held at Queen Elizabeth Hospital in PEI. They're not telling me why. I need help. This is my phone number. So he proceeds to send it out to, you know, CBC Vancouver, CBC Toronto, CBC Halifax, I'm not stupid. My purpose for doing this was I know that they have to fact check. That's what they do, right? So I think in combination that their PR department probably received a phone call within the hour, like, you know, from reporters going, are you really holding some woman there not telling her why? I was smart enough to get on with human rights advocacy people here. So by the time a nurse came back to my bed, I looked at her and I said, I'm not talking to you. I need you to get your legal and risk and assessment team, or I need you to get the CEO of your hospital at my bedside right now. Like I'm done. And she left about three hours go by and somebody comes into my room. It was a charge nurse. I lose my shit. I go, I'm not looking to speak with a charge nurse. You're not listening. I said, you guys are refusing to even tell me why you can't execute this this way. So they leave again. And I, after they spoke with the human rights advocacy people here on speakerphone, after the reporter called them, they send a woman to my bed. Mind you, since July, every encounter I have with the doctor, I'm smart enough to audio record it um, because I know I'm allowed to. There's one party consent, like in Ontario, plus it's my own medical. And right. I'm in a private room. I'm not sharing with anybody else, right? So there's no, like, I'm totally within my grounds. So I'm recording this and you can hear her saying to me, my name is Holly and her voice is shaking. I'm like, Holly, your hands are shaking. Holly, you know what? What capacity do you work in? Well, I'm acting manager and I'm just floating the floor. And what do you mean you're acting manager? I've been to enough like special need, like Peel District School Board meetings. I know what the yeah. word acting means. Like, I know what that means. Right. I said, you mean there's nobody at administration level at your hospital you can get right now? Well, they've gone home. So who runs your hospital after 3 p.m.? So she comes back to me and I calmly, you can hear me on my audio clip. I'm like, Holly, here's what you need to know. You cannot execute a mental health form 1A in Canada on a patient unless they are harmed to themselves or another person. Clearly, I came halfway across the country to hide from my life, so I'm not suicidal. And two, 
you can't do that without giving me a hard copy within one hour, no different than an arrest. I have the right to know what the reasons are, see it in writing and contact an attorney. You are depriving me of this, Holly. So that's another procedural violation. Do you hear what I'm saying? I have two conflicting surgeries. Okay. One surgery plan here conflicts from what the orthopedic surgeon told me there. So I have the right to have my cast put on so I can go back home and collectively with my family, make a decision how to proceed. And you're not telling me why I'm being held. Well, I can't get a hold of the doctor who ordered this, but what I can do is I don't know if I'm allowed to like give you a paper, but Miss um, um, Letios, I can, I can read it to you. And she proceeds to give me three reasons. You're just going to blow your mind. Number one, the patient appears to be guarded and paranoid. <laughs> just hear me out. Number two, insight is being questioned. Oh Number three, patient refuses to sign connect, consent to access clinical notes from Ontario. So I listened. I let her see it. I empathized with how scared she was. And you can hear her going, mm, I'm so sorry, but that's just what it says here. I go, okay, let me, let me, let me go one at a time for you, Holly. Wow. If I was paranoid clinically, I wouldn't be eating the shitty food in here for five days y'all bringing me. As for me being guarded, your staff has been walking in here in pairs, if not in threes, probably under the advice of, you know, their superiors. So that's number one. Number two, my insight is not questionable. My insight is bang on. And you guys are just stalling until your legal team figures out how to make this go away. hundred percent. Number three, I go to her. I do not have to sign consent for you to access my clinical notes in Ontario. So even if one of these three, Holly, I go to her was actually true. It's still not grounds to hold the patient. I must be suicidal for you to hold me. Do you understand? And you have taken six hours to come verbally tell me this. So in those six hours, another procedure violation, it is nothing more under section 17.1 than forcible confinement. And you are complicit. So, I don't know who you have to get, but get my cast back on. I'm leaving. May I ask what you do for a background? What's your background? That, like, you know, they were what shitting bricks. What the fuck does it matter, though? Get my cast back on. At right. that point, they, Unreal, man. they came back really fast and told me that they reversed it, that I was back on voluntary. <laughs> I said, of course. And that their casting clinic is closed due to it being a weekend and that on Monday they would put my cast back on and give me, you know, my medication prescription so I can go on my way. I looked at her, I said, so if there's a car accident on your Island, you're telling me that nobody can receive a cast on the weekend. It's bullshit. Whatever. That's complete bullshit. Oh, I, I said to her, whatever, this is bullshit. So I was being very careful though, because again, I can't just jump up, walk out. Right. Yeah. So Monday comes, and at this point, they actually, um, they, they told me that they were stalling, right? And they told me that in order for me to have, I, when you get a cast on and you have to fly at those altitudes, the airline doctors themselves require you to do a procedure on your cast called bivalving. When you bivalve it, it's basically from like the one end to the other and they split it. And this allows 
for expansion in the event of compartment syndrome, right? Because if you get compartment syndrome because of the altitude and there's nowhere for it to expand, you will get a blood clot and die. Right. So right. in order to get this done, they made me sign a piece of paper. I can't make this up saying that if I was to bring legal action against this hospital or their health, like in general in their province, that I couldn't do so unless it was within their jurisdiction. I'm reading this going, I have to sign it or I'm not going to get out of here. Right. But like the reason they do that one, they don't want their doctors to have to be subpoenaed, you know, out of province, yeah, but yeah. realistically, how else are you going to cherry pick your panel and your jury and your in your judges, right? Like this was surreal. I couldn't believe this was happening to me. So after doing that and leaving, I went back to their house because they were hosting me for a couple months there. On day two of being there, there was banging on their door, banging like the way a cop would bang with a warrant, right? right, right. And I remember saying, don't answer the door. And them being old and, you know, and I'm like, don't answer the door. So through the door, they said that they were, they were adult protection services. Catch this adult protection services. Like I know there's child protection services. What do you mean adult protection services? So I said, give them my cell number. I'll talk to them through the door on my phone. I said, how can I help you? Oh, somebody in the community reported that you may not be coping well. I'm coping just fine. I just booked a flight home. Thanks for your concern. Go back where you came from, right? Well, I guess you have to take your word for it unless a doctor deems you unfit. Oh my gosh. Like there's still, like I, I saw where this was going. And um, so hold on. One part I forgot to tell you while I was in there, it was three o'clock in the morning and a nurse came to me with an injection three o'clock in the morning. Right. Like we're not talking like, thank God I'm a light sleeper. And my uncle had a cot, like he slept right in the room every day when I was there with me wow. and I, and I woke up and I looked at the nurse. I go, can I help you? What is that? Oh, it's a heparin shot because you are immobile. I said, okay, and what dosage is that at? And he proceeds to tell me. And I tell him, listen to me carefully, because you look pretty young. You're the same age as my son. What, 22, 23 tops? I go, heparin at that dosage is to treat a blood clot, not a prophylactic. So get the fucking injection away from me, because I have a CT scan the next morning in three hours anyways. So they hastily threw it in the yellow bin behind my bed. Well, I'll just chart it then that you are uncooperative. And they walked out. They were hiding my blood work from me. Okay. They were hiding my blood work from me because they knew I could read my labs. So my doctor at the private clinic in Woodbridge can access it internally. So she was plucking it out of their system and emailing it to me. Like I have copies. And I'm like, if my hemoglobin has dropped, to 70s if it drops to 60s i need a blood transfusion and you're coming at me with that high of a dose of a blood thinner y'all trying to make me internally bleed right that was another reason why right. i knew i needed to get out that it, it, it had caught up to me right so after they banged on the door that way i'm like this is surreal i'm not gonna make it home like it was at the point where i was making videos for my children should i not make it home safe I was fighting with that hospital 
to get a piece of paper. I wanted to see it. I wasn't sufficed that they overturned it. I wasn't sufficed that they read it to me. I still wanted it, Eric, in my hands. Oh, well, you have to apply for medical records. And I was fighting on the phone with them, recording every conversation going, although it becomes part of a patient's medical record, that form 1A under the Mental Health Act is an entity in its own, which you should have given me within an hour hard copy. Do you understand? Oh, okay. So then they make me send my uncle there to pick up my whole file. They were worried that I might have known a nurse there because on the day of discharge, I have an clip of a doctor and she's going to me, well, here's your prescription and here's your discharge. I go, you understand why I couldn't do surgery here if I wanted to. The relationship between doctor patients has been fractured. I go to her pun intended, but y'all tried to form me illegally. Well, you have to understand, Catherine, that's not something we wanted to do. And you can hear me saying to her, probably not, but that's the best that your legal team and your risk and assessment team could do to stall so that I don't sue. Well, are you going to? And you can hear me going, no. And she goes, then I guess it becomes a mute point. Besides, we were just doing what our higher ups told us to do. Wow. I'm like, this is, this is, this is, this is not happening. So now you're frightened because they know where you are physically, right? So I went and got a burner phone, pay as you go. Literally, I walked into, because remember, everything there was open. So I had them literally take me and push my wheelchair into like a Best Buy, you know, kind of place. And I remember walking up to the guy going, don't laugh at me, but I need a drug dealer terrorist plan. You feel me? Like I need this to be so... I phone and they put me and they put me in a hotel. I miss my first flight because they're stalling. They're stalling on giving me my medical records in full. And it's about 320 pages of disclosure. And I read through it with a fine tooth comb. And I said, okay, I'll miss my first flight. I'll eat the $650, like, you know, loss, like whatever. Like I'm not leaving here without my medical file from your hospital. Not just a paper you made me sign that I wouldn't sue here. I mean, outside of here. So they ran me around for about 10 days. At that point, I had Ontario doctors phoning my old phone, asking where I am. And I needed to book a flight home. And they put me up in a hotel room because like people were banging on their door looking for me. And I was genuinely and validatedly so scared. So at that point, my cousin reached out to somebody who was at the time very much involved in this whole movement. I'm not going to say names, you know what I mean? And uh, he went and did a live on my story just to ensure that it got out there. Should I not make it back safe kind of thing? Um, I think it was 20,000 views within a day or two. They've completely deplatformed him at this point. He's apparently a national terrorist risk. Like, it was surreal. Like I did, I got thrusted into a world where I knew nothing about. So I fly back here. Once I flew back here, I started collecting my medical records from here. The PEI hospital gave me 300 pages. They made no attempts to cover any of their effery up because what they were afraid of And you could hear her also before she said, we're doing what our higher ups told us to. You could hear her say to me, so why did you come here, Catherine? I said, to your province or to your hospital? Like, 
I just patronize them right back at that stage. Right. And, um, I get, I get back like here and as I'm collecting my records, I start noticing things like, like I used to pre proofread for a living. Like I, I, I can catch it. If there's one single like word off, if there's one loophole, like I did at credit Valley, a heart test. I forget what it's called. You know, where you wear the stickers for three days and then they yep. take the box and read it. Yeah. And I also did a heart ultrasound. Now, Juravinsky Cancer Hospital, when they had kept me for like the cardiac shit, they also redid the same test. Both of those reports done three months apart, two different hospitals, two different cities. There was one common sentence. Right ventricular systolic pressure was unable to be measured due to suboptimal Doppler jet. I can, I like that part I memorized. I'm like, oh my God. Like if the, like suboptimal Doppler jet, that means your, your ultrasounds are faulty. Redo it. Yeah. And what are the chances that both times you check my heart? Like my mama died a heart failure at 40. What are y'all doing? It just became so surreal that it, it just, when I got back, I needed my cast removed. Like at this point, like we're talking February, right? And I'm back safe. And I phoned up a specific doctor that I've known for 20 years and I put him in a corner basically and I recorded the conversation and I said to him, I hear you have a new practice. I said, it's interesting because you're accepting new patients. I've known you for 20 years. I brought my kids to you as a walking clinic more than her before she dropped me. You tried to help me this summer. Apparently, I need a family doctor to overlook the mess my files become and see where something may or may not have been missed. Do you not agree? He says, no problem. Can have my nurse practitioner review it, and then we'll go from there. So he takes me on. I'm feeling kind of hopeful, right? At that point, I spoke to a cousin of mine in Greece, and she's an oncology nurse. And my biological father also lives in Greece, and his cousin in Athens is a radiologist. So I start sending images, tests, discs, like, you know, independent, like, you know, and she to me, well, can you get in a plane? Can you come here? I can get you in now. I said, no, it's not that easy. I have to apply for dual citizenship. Like it's, it's, it's not like I can do this tomorrow. So I'm thinking this dude's going to help me, this new guy. But I'm also realizing at this point, anyone who gives me a formal diagnosis, Eric, will throw the others under the bus. 100%. And, and I know this now because I know how it works. There's a bottom line. That's why there's, there's a CEO, right? It's a business at the end yeah. of the day. It's a sick and care system. Exactly. And at the same time, he says to me, cold as shit. This is a doctor I've known 20 years. But Catherine, a lot of people die before we can figure it out. And I said, I'm not a lot of people. What okay. kind of fucking answer is that, though? I like, that, that's I not can't. something you tell to somebody. No, right? he he actually said oh that. Oh my god! And they would like just patronizing me, right? Oh. So he has his nurse practitioner put in a referral to Trillium, like to Mississauga, to remove my cast. Like they didn't even set these. They didn't do nothing at PI. They literally put my cast 
on and sent me on my way. Like when I say there was no reduction, they didn't even bother to align these. So when I'm back here now, you're talking end of February, I know that atrophy is a real thing and it's not normal to have casts on for four months. So it is what it is. My functional medicine doctor is saying I can start frequency specific current treatments that zaps pathogens it doesn't matter if it's osteoporosis if it's cancer if it's it doesn't matter she goes i can treat you but this machine the wires i don't know if you've heard of it like it's it's alternative medicine but it it, you can't do it through a cast Mm. so i had to have them removed they denied my referral that she sent to um trillium which is fine because i don't want to deal with them they're the first ones that threw me under the bus then she sent it to William Olsner in Brampton. They denied it and suggested I go back to Oakville where they did me dirty. I wow. said, that's not, that's not happening because they lied to me at Oakville and I have filed with the patient abundsman of Ontario at that level. I'm not going back to Oakville. So she finds this outside clinic in Hamilton to remove my cast. And the gentleman removed my cast. I cried as we all photographed what was beneath here. Like my legs looked thinner than my wrist. There was no more muscle or calf left. So they've completely I, atrophied. It's been four yeah. months. Toenails have gone black. Um, there's so oh, much evidence geez. of disease. It's disgusting. And he sends me for x-rays. They called me after I took a wheelchair cab all the way home in the saga and said they need to see me all the way back there immediately. I know what this guy seen in the x-rays made his jaw drop. So he calls me back and he goes, listen, I'd like to get you in before the next wave. If we could do your surgery before Easter. I'm like, you know, I have to get my affairs in order. Where are you planning on sending me for surgery? He says, Hamilton. I'm like, Jervinsky. He goes, no. I said, listen, in order to do surgery at this stage in my game, it needs to feel safe. And without a proper diagnostic, we don't even know how to give a patient risk factors, right? And he agrees. So he puts in the referral for Hamilton General Hospital. And they book me for May 10th. May 10th. They make me go do blood work, you know, pre-surgical stuff, the anesthetist phone call, the whole, you know, nine yards. It's just stuff they have to do prior to. Even if you have a cold, they will cancel your surgery. You need to be 100% before you go into surgery, right? They told me everything was good to go. So I know my body's not okay. I'm still covered in dark black bruises. I have learned a lot about what cytokine storms are. I've like, like we're hitting this every way naturally. I've alkalined my body for the past six months. Um, we're treating it with IV therapies, um, Mayor Cock sales, lymph nodes, like supporting the liver, supporting the kidney, supporting the lymph nodes at this point, because I know my illness has entered my blood, my lymph nodes and my bones. She hires somebody to come in to her office and privately, you know, you can hire doctors to come in private. She hires somebody to do private microscopic blood work. She gets nine patients booked that day so we can split the cost. What it is, is they'll literally poke your finger, put a drop of blood on two pieces of glass under a microscope hooked up to a computer, and it reads parasitical infestation, 
intercellular blood infection. I am now on 30 days of antibiotics strong enough to treat malaria, Eric. So you were going to take me into surgery under these conditions? How did Life Labs miss this? They also did my hearing. Life Labs came back in the report, and I have this in writing, mixed growth, doubtful significance. Since when is a laboratory allowed to give their personal opinion about the significance of a specimen? I knew then that this is just continuing. So I'm going through the process, just documenting it. But at the same time, when I came back and was able to decompress, I looked deeper into the 300 pages that Prince Edward Island Hospital had given me. Right. They didn't bother to edit anything because they were too scared. I may have a nurse or someone on the inside that might give me unedited shit. It might conflict. So they literally knew I was on my way. They made me sign a paper that I wouldn't sign once I left. So they just gave me it all. Like they didn't even bother hiding it. They wrote things in. Like if the patient or her family is suspected of recording, she's to have her phone taken away. Jesus. Like what they the do this to me. And, and that hospital switched my COVID questions. They switched COVID questions. We're not talking about a nurse making a human error where one or two of them was, you know, marked down wrong. You know, before surgery, when they make you do a COVID test or COVID questions and you answer no all the way down the list. Yeah. Well, my hospital papers said no, but there's little footnotes, like little footnotes next to each like line. And yeah. I'm like, I've seen this before in college. Like these are footnotes. So you start flipping pages and you find the original. And it says from yes, corrected to no, from yes, corrected to no. So you guys formed me, kept me against my will withheld my blood work. I was borderline sepsis infection. You wanted to do surgery. And if I died, you wrote no next of kin. Doctors have removed their names off your exams too over there. And you wrote me off as a COVID death. This is not happening. Wow. So, so at this point in time right now, what, what is, what is your focus? Like in this last 10 minutes, let's, let's kind of, uh, I, I guess trying to try to paint a path forward or like, what can, what can the community do to make sure that these people are either held accountable or, or to, you know, raise the fire under their ass or, or to just simply help you out? Like what's the game plan here? I mean, they, they've clearly done you so fucking dirty, man. Like I, and on top of it, they make patients suffer this way. They inflate, you know, any, if you got COVID and you die in a freaking work accident, man, you're still going to die with it. Not of it, but with it. Well, that, it, it that's, all, that's how it, all, it, all the it, cases It interconnects. Absolutely. And my doc, I think my doctor knew I would figure it out. And that's why she literally not only wrote that, but threw me under the bus. Yeah, 100%. And the College of Physicians did nothing. So remember I told you we had, and I have pictures of this on my Instagram. I purposely posted photographs of the news article where she dies in a, untimely car crash and on top of it my formal complaint to the patient abundsman our ontario patient abundsman is independent and outside of health care and their job is to audit these kind of situations right i'm not going to go down that rabbit hole and think it was because of me but i don't doubt that she had a plethora of complaints similar to mine this woman passes away on december 18th my complaint was filed December 4th. Wow. Apparently, December 
19th, they sent me an encrypted email and registered mail that they closed my file. Not, can we see the pictures you took of your chart? Not, can we talk? No investigation, literally swept it under the rug. Kind of like, what are you going to do about it? Then you're not working. They force you to apply, let's say, for disability, okay? Yeah. $1,200 a month. I can't sustain the natural medicine I'm on for $1,200 a month. Like, it's surreal. And then you take into account that in and around this time, they implemented the whole doctor-assisted suicide. Oh, and you don't need to. If you're suffering, you can ask them. And then they're playing with. I went when I got back and drew up paperwork. Um, and I had my next door neighbor who's a, like she notarized it, like stamped it. And I put them on notice. I called the uh, Hamilton Health Sciences and I said, this is a piece of paper authorizing my body to be released to this person for the purposes of a prepaid independent autopsy inclusive of a biopsy. So whether it's now, whether it's after, y'all are going to have something to answer to. Like yeah. my kids have the right to know why their mom died just for yeah. medical history's sake. Like, what are you guys doing? But what they didn't, what they didn't bank on is the resources, right? Or how many people would step up or my support system has been tremendous, right? Absolutely. Like there, there's things you can take to literally, there is no disease on our planet that can live in an alkaline body. No, it's, it's, a, it's a physical impossibility. When your liver is failing because of your bladder, when things have moved into your bones, into your lung, and there's like nothing is like at all, nothing. Like she's went and given me a requisition for an MRI. And I'm now trying to raise the money to get across the border to do it independently because life labs, they're lying. Like there's so many internal politics involved in my case that there's, there's no way they'd rather sooner let me die. So in the last two, three days alone, um, I have had the MPP of Hamilton call me, Monique Taylor. I have also had the CEO of Jurovinsky Hospital call me. And I said to them straight, I can't find a lawyer with the balls to touch something this big unless it becomes a class action thing. However, I said to them, I could go personal injury because I found dozens of lawyers that would take that. Now, personal injury is very difficult to prove for medical purposes. So you usually have to pay five to $8,000 for their own team of like private doctors to, you know, figure it out. But I said to her, out of all the hospitals, yours is the most complicit because your actual bone scan told me everything was okay, head to toe. And two months later, this happened. I don't care who you need to throw under the bus. Throw the radiologist if you got to, because that's what you're going to do. That's like business-wise, that makes the most sense. Something, something went wrong. And I have the right to know before I contemplate doing surgery safely. And they actually asked me for a number. I said, I don't want a single dollar. This is not about money. This is about principle of the matter. Because I know I'm not the only one you guys are doing this to. Hell no. Absolutely. They, they, they obviously have I said, a ton and of if experience. I die, and if there's some money ever won, and I've told this to my family too, I want something to start up in my name where I don't want another patient to ever have to feel the sheer terror of laying in a bed knowing that there is nobody who can advocate for them outside of the healthcare system. There's nobody. Like, I know a lot of nurses, you know, some of them too. Like, we know mutual friends that, that have walked away from their careers. Yeah. 
if it doesn't exist, create it. Well, I want a team is, uh... of nurses that can advocate for patients outside of the government in situations like this, because while I'm sitting there scared and knowing that there's nobody I can call to help me because all of them, like if you follow the money, right, all of them at the end of the day are working for the same thing, Health Canada. Right. Right. There is nothing independently available for people in my situation. And although I can advocate hard, and I've advocated for years, like I've worked in the Peel District School Board, I've studied social work, I have an undergrad in child psychology. Um, I, 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 you know, on behalf of Peel Poverty Action Group, I've met with our mayor, Hazel McCallion, before in boardrooms. Like I've talked in front of high schools to youth. Like I, this is what I do. But when it's you, you can't be the one barking because you're just all bark, no bite. Do you get what I mean? Like there's nobody on your behalf reinforcing what you're saying. And Absolutely. they've been given, they've been given a certain immunity up until 2022, which people are not aware of. Our hospitals have very little liability and that's why they continue to bounce you around from hospital to hospital, yeah. as opposed to going in and seeing your family doctor, which they get to at their own, you know, discretion. I'll give you another example. This doctor here that took me on tried to get my biopsy of the lump in my neck, which has been there now for 11 months straight. It's not a reactive lymph node. He tried to get them to do my biopsy. I have three specialists at UHN in Toronto. You know what they came back to him? She needs to go in her postal code. So for that, I need to stay in my postal code. But for the surgery, it's okay to go to Hamilton? Yeah, that's like, so There's stupid. not even consistency there. So when he first did his intake, and I have this documented as well, they asked me, and verbatim, are you currently involved in any active lawsuits? Do I advocate hard? Yes. Am I currently involved in any active lawsuits? I don't feel that has any merit or bearing on your capacity to be my family doctor. Well, exactly. And, and that's just what it is. I think they're just trying to pry to make sure that they can kind of have their legal team and, and use the justice departments and shit. Cause this goes deep, man, this goes so deep. But, um, so, uh, with all of this being said, in he the dropped last, me too. So, he dropped me. Of he course did. he did. Of course yeah. he did. So and his, his, his reason for dropping me was he, he said that his staff felt that I threatened legal action. I said, no, actually, my question to you is, could you please stop yelling Get it clear? I'm not interested because the first one you guys were emailing me about just got taken off the market. So what's to say that this one that you're offering and trying to push me into getting won't also be taken off the market. Right. I said, so if I was to take the AstraZeneca before it got pulled that you guys were trying to make me take last month, who would be legally liable? So because I posed this question to the office receptionist, he said that his staff felt that I fed it to him good at the end. I'm like, okay. Since you want to say that I'm talking legal, I go to him. I, I like I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you straight how it is. You are a coward. Right. I've known you 20 years. You were supposed to be different. You went from a shitty walk-in clinic to you are clinical, like you are the clinical manager right. of your new practice. Right. And on top of it, you're dropping me. You are complicit in my death if I die. Furthermore, a lot of doctors and nurses are picking up, so it's not too late. If you want to whistleblow, do it now. And then I hung up. Right. 
Like, I like, what did I have to lose at that point? So I, I like, you know, I, it wasn't my proudest moment. I wasn't my most composed, but I just, I, I let him have it. Well, some, sometimes that's exactly what you have to do in order to get your point across. So we have, uh, we have about a minute and a half left. Um, is there any final thoughts that you'd like to get out there? Is there any, any message that you'd like to get out to the people? Um, I, you already know that I'm going to be completely fighting hard for you. I really wanted to get your story out there entirely. It's surreal. And I, and it's like, but I could see it coming every step of the way. Like I could see it coming so I could lean into it and prepare for it. And I'm always 10 steps ahead. And this is what the, that bothers them. It bothers them a lot. But 100%. when they start messing with your capacity, like I have, I have over 150 stories. I don't know why people today, a lady messaged me. Do you know how my husband, who's a pilot can get out of the vaccine? I live in BC. I'm like, I don't offer legal advice. Like, I'm, but like it, it just, it kills me that this is happening to so many people and how many people like I've requested, I paid money and requested for freedom of information. Mm -hmm. I want to know how many death certificates in 2020 were actually formally changed from COVID death to the real cause of death. I want to know. I want to know. I want numbers. Like I'm not done with this. This to me, this, this resonates deeply because I've watched them send people home out of the hospitals to die. Yeah. No, and, and again, I, I completely appreciate you and your story. And, uh, you, you know, I'm sure with all of our mutual friends and the groups that I'm a part of, um, we're definitely going to start trying to put something together. And uh, I definitely want to stay, uh, you know, really in touch with you to see what your input is and how you think we should go about it. And uh, let's start fighting this battle. Inevitably, that's that's what we need to do. There's no other way around it. There's no easy way to do it other than head on. So thanks for coming on, Catherine. I, Thank uh, you for having me, Eric. I, Thank you so much for everything absolutely. you do. Absolutely. Any, anytime, anytime. It's, uh, I'm, I'm mind blown by this entire story. I, I, I really don't even have words. Thank you so much. We'll chat soon. Thank you for tuning in to the Freedom Frontline podcast. You can reach me on Instagram at V-E-R-U-M underscore M-A-N-E. That's Verum Money on Instagram. I'll be happy to take all of your inquiries and suggestions there. Until next time, this is the Freedom Frontline podcast.